Did you know VIP season ticket subscribers have access to this workshop and hundreds more in streaming video, MP3 download, audio CD, executive white paper summary, and podcast formats? Visit vip.dealersedge.com for more information. In a survey of auto dealerships last year, Automotive News said their survey of 200 stores in five states found that nearly 84% of consumers would not buy another car from a dealership that had a data security breach at the dealership. And approximately 33% of consumers are not confident in the security of their personal and financial data when buying a vehicle at a new car dealership. The low consumer confidence in dealerships' protection of personal data is not the only reason to implement data security programs. Federal and state laws also mandate that dealerships have such programs, and while the, the details may vary, this means dealerships' data located in the DMS or Customer Relationship Management System or shared with third-party providers is subject to legal requirements. Further, because employee negligence is the cause of many data breaches, Employers must include employee training when implementing a data security program. One only need to read the daily news to realize that hackers are getting better and cybersecurity is more important than ever for dealerships. Potential threats include threat to dealership property, customer service privacy, dealership reputation damage, financial penalties, and lost customer trust. Your cash and customer information are desirable targets from a cyber attacker's perspective, and even small or medium-sized dealerships who outsource their IT functions are targets for cyber fraud or external hacking. We hardly ever hear about these incidents because the mainstream media just doesn't cover the auto retailing business very well. But today's workshop presenter, Eric Nockbar, will tell us about some hair-raising dealership IT problems drawn from his company's experience working with dealership clients. Eric will offer some ideas for identifying the weaknesses and plugging the leaks, and so without further delay, let's welcome Eric Nockbar back to Dealer's Edge. Eric, why don't you take over from here? Okay, first, um, we would like to do a, uh, an IT penetration test from the outside. Okay, and as I understand it, that's a test you can do to, to see how susceptible your dealership is to, uh, you know, to a, hack, a hacker or some sort of invasion of your system. Is there a service you can recommend for that? Yeah, and I, I'm, I am going to cover that in okay. kind of solutions, but let me get, and I'll give you some suggestions on, on successful ones we've seen, but let me just answer the part of what the penetration test is, just so you can kind of in your mind as you're shopping for this, think about what you're shopping for. So we've seen services that scan the dealership from the outside, right? And, and what you're really doing when you do that, right, is dealers have one connection point to the internet, and it's typically some sort of firewall. And even, and the idea behind a firewall is, is that if you're behind it, right, you're on the dealership's network, you're able to get out and kind of access everything on the internet. And if you're outside of it, out on the internet, you're blocked from coming in. Even the most rudimentary firewalls will we'll achieve that pretty successfully and are, are pretty hard to break through, even for real hackers. So doing a pen, what would 
traditionally be considered a penetration test is I'm trying to penetrate the firewall from the outside world, right, and get into the dealership. So you're probably going to pass that. The thing that a good security assessment will do, and incidentally, Helion does not perform security assessments because we're an IT operations organization. So the people that provide security assessments, I would say, are typically not IT operations people because security assessments are a very, very specialized, they're basically hackers, right? They're called white hat hackers. They're people that are specialized and certified in how these hackers are breaching networks. And what those security assessments will typically involve is actually getting, giving those hacker, those white hat hackers, right, the security analysts, access inside of the firewall because that's where your risk lies, right? The attackers are not going to penetrate through the outside of the firewall. They are going to get something into your network. And what those security auditors are going to look for is are you putting patches on PCs? Are there devices on the network that have default passwords on them that can in some way be compromised? You know, are you running antivirus, right? So there are, is your wireless secure? So they're going to look at things inside the network. And what they will typically find, and this includes when they, because we've had plenty of these security experts audit networks we manage, right, IT systems we manage, they, they will find things that, we had no idea about. I mean, we have a general sense of what things they're going to find, but they're experts in how exploits work. So, and, and typically these exploits are sophisticated. So my recommendation would be to you would be don't go out and get somebody to kind of scan your firewall. You want to be talking to a company that's going to come in and really give you a detailed assessment inside the network and then give you very actionable things that you can do with it. So again, a lot of times, these security, you know, quote-unquote security audits will involve scanning all kinds of stuff and kind of giving you a, a thousand-page report of everything they scan, when really what you need are 10 to 20 actionable things that they found that are meaningful, that address these vulnerabilities. That, that's how you want to be thinking about a security assessment. Not a penetration test, but really a security assessment. And the really good ones, and we've seen some of those, and I'll give you some names when I get to that slide, the really good ones will actually physically come into your organization and attempt to plug in things to your network, attempt to gain access to the computer rooms. We'll send in phishing tests and see who clicks on it. So you'll get a really good picture of where the holes are and then have a, a you know, a great remediation plan on how to plug them. Okay. Uh, another question uh, from your experience, Eric, how much help can dealers expect from their DMS vendor uh, in the, uh, in preventing cyber attacks? Well, I, it, you know, in terms of help from their DMS vendor, I mean, it, typically what what I, I mean, that kind of, we could take that conversation into a whole other webinar on, on, you know, challenges. But I, I would say typically DMS vendors are good at DMS software. When it comes to security and kind of, practices that keep dealer data secure, I would say that isn't really the, the resource that I would rely on, you know, for kind of what the next best thing is to do in a dealership. Okay. Uh, Sean writes in, I, I take it from the tone of the, the question, Sean is either a CFO or a controller in the dealership. He says, I get, I get these emails all the time, 
someone poses at the gen as the general manager asking if I'm available and if I can send a wire to pay an invoice. Uh, one of the things he always does is, is checks the uh, the actual email address where the email where the email originated to make sure it's a dealership email address. And uh, and one of the things he recommended was uh, was a verbal confirmation uh, that the uh, that the sender actually intended that it's actually a real email and a real order to, to send money. Yep. Okay. Uh, Absolutely. Could you, uh, again, would you uh, tell us what redundancy and resiliency are? Yeah, I mean, so redundancy and resiliency, I mean, as one example would be, you know, for example, having two internet connections. So, a lot of these systems you want to look at, you know, what protections do you have in place? So the redundancy of a system would be, for example, having two Internet connections plugged into your Internet Edge firewall, and, and if one goes down, the other one automatically takes over. When I think about the resiliency of the system, that is kind of more, hey, you know, if a virus deletes files off of this server, how quickly can we restore those files? How critical is it? What happens, right? If, so in that case, right, the answer would be, well, we're going to store the files in the cloud, and if somebody blows out a bunch of data on the server, we're going to download that, that data back to the server, and within a couple hours, we could have the data restored. The, so that's one idea, right? More redundancy and resiliency in that kind of scenario would be if the whole server gets encrypted somehow, what do we have there? Well, we're going to use Microsoft's distributed file system, and we're going to replicate that data across multiple servers. So if one of the servers gets compromised, another server at another one of the dealership's locations or on-premise can step in and take over. So those are kind of we're think, redundancy and resiliency. We're really thinking about what are the systems that could be compromised or taken down, either with malicious intent or you know, power issues or anything else, and what systems do we have in place to protect you know, reasonably, what are reasonable risks that we can protect against? That's what we're talking about there. Okay. Uh, one more question before we move back into the program. Uh, can Kaspersky be trusted as an antivirus provider uh, since they're based in Russia, where all the hackers seem to be based to? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, and, and this again, whether if this is political or not, but it, the U.S. government says no. <laughs> so, it, I mean, I would say that we... We don't use Kaspersky. We don't recommend Kaspersky. And, and the thing I would tell you beyond that, Kaspersky is an antivirus program. It's also a very fat and heavy bloated program. So um, we found in testing early on before all that kind of came out is that if you install it on a PC, it actually slows down the PC pretty substantially. So we do not recommend Kaspersky. We didn't recommend it before that um, just because it's a bloated software product, but it, it seems pretty scary to put a, a Russian-made software on your PC. Uh, I know you, you recommend a cybersecurity audit. Uh, is, is there a, a sort of a, a preliminary step uh, that, that dealers might be able to do, uh, not necessarily on their own, but, but just by uh, engaging a, an outside service to help them do a preliminary test? Is there somebody you could recommend for that? It, yeah, I mean, it, not really in terms of a preliminary test. I okay. mean, it, you know... It, 
it would be more just having a conversation, I guess, is what I would suggest. So if you if, if you having a conversation, if you talk to a couple of firms and, and I gave some examples, you know, a good starting point would be your CPA firm to see if they offer those services, because um, that's where I found that they tend to be the most professional. And just sitting down or having a phone call with their cyber experts, they would be able to ask you some questions and kind of, you know, see if there's something there. But generally, there probably will be. <laughs> All right. Um, what is your opinion of allowing uh, our, our employees to have their corporate dealership email uh, linked to their cell phones? Uh, it's typically fine. Um, you know, I mean, that kind of idea of the consumer consumerization of these corporate things, that's one that has kind of taken hold everywhere. So, you know, it, these, these phones are pretty difficult to breach. So having those corporate accounts on a phone, it's something that we typically do. And I, and I haven't really heard security experts talk about that being a risk area. So I would say, you know, we endorse it and we don't really see risk there. Okay. Uh, how about the idea of allowing uh, our employees to have VPN, which I think is virtual private network access, uh, so that they can work remotely? Yeah. So we endorse that, um, but you just want to be careful of doing that on a limited basis. So typically the way that we recommend VPN being implemented is you set up a secure connection at the dealership, which there's a lot of technologies that exist to do that. And then we typically have the, the remote worker remote control their desk at the dealership. And the reason we do that is is rather than saying, hey, I'm going to have them install the DMS client local and all these different things locally, where then you do worry about if their PC is compromised, it could compromise all of those applications. If you say, I'm just going to have them remote into their desktop at the dealership, then all those applications are still living in the dealership. Now, there is, of course, inherently more risk in letting people VPN in because if their PC at home is compromised, even if they remote desktop in, you know, there could be screen capturing or key logging where, where, you know, bad actors could get access to that remotely. But I would say, you know, that's where you want to limit it. So typically with our clients, there will be a handful of people that are allowed that level of VPN access and most employees are not. So it's typically executives or key people that, you know, they genuinely need to work, you know, they want to work all the time. So that's usually not required for most line level employees. Uh, what do you think about using Google business apps for email and file storage? So we like that. It, you know, here's the only thing. So we, and I'll say this, we are pretty biased and, and, and heavily biased towards Microsoft in that when you use the Microsoft technologies, well, let me back up for one second before I talk about Microsoft. Google obviously is a great product. The thing that I've seen dealers do is they kind of let people sign up for Google and then they're using, you know, Google file storage and these Google apps and they're completely outside of the control of the dealership, right? So just an example, actually, where we were talking to a prospective client and as we were having the conversation, said, oh, geez, you know, we've got this, this, this general sales manager that left the organization, but apparently they still have access to some issue log that we're keeping on a Google doc and we have no way to know if we restricted them. So 
Google has things that can tie into the corporate environment, but it becomes a lot harder to control that. Just like if you're using things like Apple and iCloud, they're really made to be consumer-facing products. When you use Microsoft's version of those technologies, so Microsoft Office Online and Exchange Online and um, Microsoft OneDrive, which is their filing sharing technology, they all basically do the same thing as Google Docs, but Microsoft ties directly into the dealership's Active Directory security. So it's very easy, right, to in one motion say, here are all my dealership employees, here's how I'm gonna put them into groups, either on you know job roles and stores they're in and departments, and if an employee leaves, they can be simultaneously locked out of the network, the servers, the email system. They can be locked out of everything at once. So that's kind of where Microsoft, you know, shines is Microsoft isn't really the innovator, right? If you look at it, Google's actually been doing it longer than Microsoft, and they were the ones that innovated with that. But then when Microsoft jumped on the bandwagon, they actually made it integrate into businesses better than Google did because they own the server and desktop platform in the business. So we like Microsoft for that reason. It's not that it's better in terms of what it does. It's better in terms of how you can secure it and how you can add and move kind of rights around it within the organization. And that we find to be critical. All right. Uh, from a security standpoint, uh, is a service like Dropbox still okay for sharing files? Well, again, it, it, it can be, but that really is the same concern as with, you know, something like Google Docs and sharing things that way. You know, Dropbox, Google Docs are typically set up by individuals in your organization that are savvy and want to use something like that. You have limited to no control over what they're doing, where in Microsoft OneDrive, which is the same thing as those other two, right, that's Microsoft's version of that, you can have business OneDrive accounts that tie into your Microsoft online system that you then have control of. So, for example, you know, and we, we use that here, an employee leaves and you lock them out and then immediately ask the administrator, would you like to give access to this person's files to someone else? And you say, yes, I'd like to give it to their manager. And then those files are immediately moved over to that manager, and they're immediately removed from any of the devices that that employee has out in the world, right? Because a lot of times they'll have, you know, that stuff linking to their home PC or to their phone. So all great technologies, but again, I, I, we're pushing for the Microsoft side because the control is there on a corporate level. Uh, have you encountered any dealerships who have had hardware key loggers uh, where a showroom floor PC has a USB uh, inserted into it to pull login credentials? And how, how could we protect against that? Uh, the answer is no, we haven't. Um, but uh, in all honesty, I mean, we support about 25,000 computers, so I haven't gone around, you know, we haven't gone around and looked at any of them to, to see. You know, I, the thing I would tell you is, you know, USB, and that was kind of more of a thing, right? When USB first came out, it was like, how do we lock down these USB ports and stuff like that? I mean, the reality is, is that it, it, I'm sure it could be out there somewhere, but, the, you know, the risk is in all these email-borne threats and, and luring people and getting software onto the computers via the Internet. So it, is that a risk? Sure. Is, 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 is the level of what the threat is of USB devices even remotely close to the threat of all these other things? Absolutely not. So if you said to me, right, 
my guess would be if you said, I want to lock down USB ports, which, by the way, will, will create issues because there's tons of USB devices. So there's software you can invest in that will lock down USB ports. You're going to create all kinds of issues, right, because m- m- keyboards and mouses and, you know, OEM devices and credit card readers, and there's a lot of things, printers, right, that use USB. You're going to create a big workflow nightmare for yourself to kind of deal with that. If you said to me, Shot, am I going to invest in that, or am I going to invest in something like FishMe, Fish.me, that is an email thing that's going to every month send my employees, you know, phishing emails to see if they're and test them, and if they click on them, I'm going to log them and I'm going to train them and everything else. You're your bang for your buck and the place to invest is in protecting from online threats. That's where I would invest time. If you've got all of that nailed down and you're super, super secure, yeah, maybe look at USB, but I would say low-priority threat compared to other things. Okay. Uh, Kevin wrote in, uh, if you're going to allow corporate email uh, on a device or other apps that can access uh, corporate data, uh, you should be using some form of MDM because it's not necessarily the breach of the device, it's the loss of the device that's a problem. Uh, what is MDM, and uh, do you agree with Kevin? Um, I definitely agree with Kevin. In, in So MDM is mobile device management. So the idea is is that, I mean, here's a, a, kind of a take one step further of what Kevin's talking about. So a lot of dealers are purchasing mo- iPads to have in the shops and, and or to have in service bays or service advisors or, you know, for, for mobile tools for their salespeople. And the idea behind mobile device management is, you know, here I'm taking a, con- con- you know, a consumer device like an iPad and I'm handing it to a salesperson. And what happens if that device gets lost? Now that device has sensitive data, customer data, access into the corporate network. Mobile device management allows two important functions. One, you can actually lock down the device to prevent them from putting other software on there that you may not want them to have. And two, mobile device management allows you to do, and this is what Kevin's bringing up, and I I absolutely agree, and thank you for raising that, is it allows you to remote wipe the device, which is an important function. And the same thing, like, if you've got employees that are connecting iPhones and different consumer devices into your servers, you can actually send remote wipe commands to those devices to delete your data off. So that is definitely a very important function, you know, that, that yeah, is, is important and is valid. So thank you for raising that. All right. Uh, that looks like the end of our questions, unless, uh, unless John Muntz has any others that, that he received. No, I'm clear. Okay. Uh, so that's the end of our questions and therefore the end of today's program. Uh, I'd like to remind you that uh, we did record today's workshop, and uh, the recording will be in your Dealer's Edge library tomorrow, uh, so you can access it there. Uh, a lot of good information. I took a couple pages of notes here on things I need to research when we're done, uh, but you may want to do the same and share it with uh, with people in your, in your store. Uh, I'd like to thank all of you for attending today and for sticking with us. Um, Again, it's not always easy to take an hour, an hour and a half out of your dealership day, uh, but we appreciate you spending that time with us. And I'd like to offer special thanks to Eric Nakbar, president of Helion Automotive Technologies, uh, for taking his time today to share his expertise, uh, his considerable expertise and experience with us, uh, and for taking the time to put today's workshop together. Kevin, uh, Eric, thank you very much. Uh, And with that, uh, this is Mike Bowers for Dealer's Edge, so we'll be signing off and hope you can join us for our next uh, online training program.
Did you know VIP season ticket subscribers have access to this workshop and hundreds more in streaming video, MP3 download, audio CD, executive white paper summary, and podcast formats? Visit vip.dealersedge.com for more information.